Well, September obviously is a uh, time for new beginnings and for unfolding futures as children get baptized and uh, students and teachers settle into their classrooms and young women and men head off to college. Other people get back from vacation and uh, head back to work with their special projects and new initiatives and uh, the NFL regular season gets underway. And even in the church, uh, we kind of fire up our fall ministries in music and education, as uh, you've heard, and many other things. And uh, as Pastor Miller mentioned in his announcements, uh, this September also marks a step forward into the future of our congregation as we gather together on uh, the 25th of this month after our late Sunday service uh, to hear from that Futures Task Force. Uh, which was commissioned at my recommendation uh, more than a year ago by our board of directors to lead us in this process of discerning the Spirit's promptings for the tomorrows that uh, God has in store for us. And the, and the context for doing that is simply that eight years ago, this church family uh, relocated to this house, uh, which, as some of you may know, was uh, not quite finished on the day that we moved in. Uh, as a matter of fact, though the structure was here, uh, there was no great room. There was no lower level. Uh, there were not uh, one but two fewer parking lots available to us at that time. And in the course of those following eight years, all of that got completed. We uh, added another weekly worship service to our life together, and we grew a lot, not only in the number of people that we serve with the good news of Christ uh, through our congregation's ministry, but in the number of different ministries that we offer to the world uh, for the glory of God, for our own spiritual nourishment, and for the hope of this uh, broken, empty, uh, seeking world. And it all happened uh, in a rather short amount of time, thanks to the faithfulness of God, and also thanks uh, to your faithful a spirit of generosity, of time and treasure, for which I say once again, thanks to the Lord and thanks uh, to you again and again. Uh, but now we've come to this new plateau and to uh, a time to ask a question that many have been raising uh, with me, with uh, other members of our staff and leaders of our congregation over the course of the past uh, several months, and that is the question, what do we do now? What's next? for St. Andrew. And I've joked around with some of you and said, talk to your next pastor about that. But uh, the fact of the matter is that that is the question that our Futures Task Force has been asking. What's next? What do we do now for the sake of making an even greater impact on this world with the life-changing, transforming good news of Jesus? And uh, that's what uh, we are ready to talk to you uh, about and uh, to share some possibilities that I think will probably excite you. Some of them may challenge you. Others may cause you to think and bring ideas of your own and that I, I actually hope and I pray will cause this church family to stretch once again like it did once before so that people we don't even know yet will become part of the family of God just like hundreds of sisters and brothers are part of this church family today who we didn't even know in the spring of 2008.
And in order to lay a biblical foundation for the summit and for whatever it is that uh, comes after that, I want to talk to you today and also for the next two weeks about the God of our tomorrows. And specifically about three things that I believe are absolutely vital, not only to our future as a church, but to your future as an individual follower of Jesus who wants to live a life that honors God and have relationships that honor God and experience that deeper joy and that higher purpose for living no matter what it is that you do uh, in life. And, And those three things begin with the power of reconciliation, which is what I want to talk about today because where there's no reconciliation in your life, there is no future. And then I want to talk about replication and what it means to set off these chain reactions of grace that will continue uh, among different people in different places, and it will go on and on after we're long gone. And then I want to talk about reformation and what it means to recognize those moments and those unique times when it's important for us to do something new, even to change, even to reform in order to bring the changeless message of Jesus into this rapidly, dramatically changing world. And so we've got a lot to talk about, and the uh, passage that I want to dig into and tackle with you uh, to open it all up is the one that you heard from the letter of St. Paul to Philemon. Uh, because not only is it a personal and warm story of the power of reconciliation, but because this letter is also a game changer for the life of the church and for the history of the world. And the context for all of this in what you heard is that Paul is a very good and close friend of this man who's named Philemon, who lived in a place known as Colossae, which was kind of a second-class town, uh, more than the big major city that it once was, uh, once upon a time. And it was located about 100 miles from Ephesus, which you may also be familiar with. And, uh, and there uh, in Colossae, a church was planted, not by St. Paul, curiously, but by a man named Epaphras, who is mentioned uh, toward the end of the letter, who was a protege a colleague and a convert of St. Paul. And Philemon is a member of the Colossian church and a committed and faithful follower of Christ. And he's also a wealthy man. And we know this because he had slaves of which there were tens of millions in the entire Roman Empire at that time. And, you know, we'll park that issue off to the side for a moment. But one of those slaves was a man by the name of Onesimus, whose name ironically means useful, given the fact that the guy stole something from Philemon's house, and he left and ran away from Colossae in violation of Roman law that was uh, punishable by anything up to and including execution, which is why slaves would, uh, when they ran away, end up in places like uh, big cities such as Ephesus or, or even Rome where they could blend in and sort of you know, hide in plain sight, as we might uh, say today. But for Onesimus, uh, it doesn't quite work out that way because, you know, it is a small world after all. And when he gets to Rome, who does he meet? But none other than Paul, who just happens to be a friend of the man from whom he ran away in the city of Colossae. Paul is in prison, and it leads us to think that maybe Onesimus got in some other kind of trouble in Rome and was jailed next to Paul, who instead of treating him like a fugitive, witnesses to this guy about Jesus. And he tells Onesimus that when you come into a relationship with Jesus, everything changes. 
And you begin to see yourself differently and your life differently and other people around you differently and the world and even your future in a whole new way. And through Paul's witness, Onesimus, the fugitive runaway, becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Christ, just like Paul's friend Philemon. And that gives Paul this great idea when he says, in effect, Onesimus, I think you ought to go back to Colossae. I think you should go back to Philemon. Tell him we met. And tell him that you're sorry. Now, if you're Onesimus, you think that's a good idea? I mean, this guy has the ability to have you executed for stealing and for running away. But see, Paul knows something. He knows that these two guys now have something they never had before. He knows that they are now brothers in Christ. And that changes everything, or at least it's supposed to. And so in order to grease the skids for this moment of reconciliation that he envisions, St. Paul writes a letter to Philemon. Dear Philemon, please excuse my friend Onesimus and please do not have him beheaded. I hope to see you soon. Love, Paul. You know, kind of like that. In fact, I said a moment ago that the name Onesimus literally means useful. I don't know if you caught the play on words that's right there in verse 11 of the letter where Paul says to Philemon, formerly he was useless to you because he stole your stuff and he ran away. But now he is useful both to you and to me. Because he's our brother in Christ. And as you heard in the letter, with what Martin Luther referred to as a lot of holy flattery, Paul makes his case for the reconciliation of this runaway fugitive and his master back in Colossae and says to his friend Philemon, I'm counting on you to do this. Take him back. Welcome him home, man. He's not a fugitive. Now he's your brother. Show the world what reconciliation in Jesus is really all about. Well, tomorrow, as you all know, is Labor Day, and uh, Labor Day has its origins in a railroad strike that took place in this country in the year 1894, and the, uh, the divisions and the conflicts that existed between the workers on that Pullman Railroad and the owners of that company was so fierce that 12,000 soldiers were deployed to settle the strike. And in the course of doing that, 13 workers were killed. And many others were wounded in the process. And so it was in the aftermath of that atrocity that President Grover Cleveland set into motion an effort to establish a national holiday to honor the American worker, making Labor Day a sign of reconciliation between servants and masters when conflict and division and killing did not work. And that brings me to what I really want to say to you about all of this today, uh, to you as an individual follower of Christ, uh, to you and me as a church together. And it is quite simply, as I already mentioned, where there is no reconciliation, there is no future. But there is power in being restored to another person in a relationship that had once been broken in the grace of Jesus. And so there are times as I look at this letter when, you know, I realize, you know, hey, I've been the one 
who's been on the run. And I've been running away from a relationship because I'm filled with guilt or I'm filled with shame or I did something to fracture and break that relationship apart and I need to be the one who turns around and goes back and says I'm sorry and seeks the reconciliation that God makes possible by His forgiveness and grace and power. And then sometimes I, I, I realize that and you might realize that you know, you're the one who needs to Extend the welcome to somebody who's hurt you. They sinned against you. They offended you. So that that relationship can be put back together again. And then sometimes your role in uh, the story of your life will be more like St. Paul. And, uh, and our challenge will be to be the one who builds the bridge between two other people whose relationships are broken apart. And to do what Paul did, and that is put in a good word that will bring them back together by the grace of God. And so I would encourage you to think about what that means for your husband, your wife, your siblings, your children, your colleagues that you're struggling with. And for that matter, even your ex-husband or your ex-wife or your former colleague. Because it really is possible even to have reconciliation even without reunion. I remember uh, very few things about my first day at uh, seminary because it was just so long ago. But one of the things I do remember was walking into the chapel on day one and seeing a banner standing next to the high altar. And it had a verse on it that would become my seminary class verse from 2 Corinthians 5.18. And it said, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And I sat in that chapel on the pulpit side near the aisle about halfway back and I looked at that banner with those words and I thought to myself this is going to be hard and it's not always going to work and sometimes it's going to be my fault but this is what it has to be about from here on in And that's what I want to say to us as a church together because it doesn't really matter what we decide to do. It doesn't really matter how many meetings or summits that we have if at the end of the day it's not about the process, the miracle, the blessing of reconciliation, of welcoming people home to the family of God and telling them that in the blood of Jesus... Everything is forgiven, and we are sisters and brothers in Christ. And I hate to tell you this, but the fact is that there are more people in our culture and in our society today who look at churches, and what they see is an exclusive, insular, judgmental, holier-than-thou spiritual country club where some get in and some don't get in and some are welcomed and some are not welcomed and they see us withdrawing and separating ourselves from the culture instead of engaging it with this grace, with this truth that comes to us and the one who last time I checked is known as the friend of sinners. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Where there's no reconciliation, there ain't no ministry. And there's no future, not a glorious one for you and me as individuals or for us as a church together. And so 
uh, literally last week, I mean, just a handful of days ago, I was talking to a, a friend uh, about a person both of us know who has fallen away from the Lord, and they have fallen away from the church. But we learned uh, that that individual is beginning to consider the possibility of coming back and is now wondering, will they be welcomed? My response was that if the church doesn't welcome sinners or runaways, then the room will be empty. And there won't be anybody to worship. And I guarantee you, there won't be anybody to lead the worship either. On the other hand, those of you who have ever heard me preach or teach from St. Paul's letter to Philemon, uh, hopefully recall a little non-biblical epilogue to this story. And it begins with the fact that we really don't know the outcome of this letter. We really don't know what happened when Paul sent Onesimus back to Colossae, holding that letter and giving it to Philemon, saying, here, read this. The Bible doesn't say. But here's something we do know. About 45 years later, an early church bishop by the name of Ignatius of Antioch wrote a letter to the church in the city of Ephesus, which was only about 100 miles away from Colossae, where all of this unfolded. And in that letter, Ignatius of Antioch was extolling the virtues of the new bishop of Ephesus who had gone to that city to serve as its chief pastor. The name of the new bishop was a little unusual. It was Onesimus, which means useful. And it also just so happens that the language that uh, Ignatius of Antioch used in his letter to the Ephesian church bears a striking resemblance to the words and language that St. Paul used in his letter to Philemon when talking about a runaway fugitive who became a brother in Christ. Which just goes to show you, I mean, you don't know what the future could hold. You don't know what your tomorrows can bring when reconciliation is at the core of your life. And it's the heartbeat of our church because our God is the God of our tomorrows. He is the God of second chances. He is the God of new beginnings and unfolding futures. And by His grace, He has given us the beauty of forgiveness for the ashes of our sin. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation at the foot of the cross and in the blood of Jesus. Try it and find out how powerful it can really be Because I don't know exactly what the future holds, but I sure know who holds it. And when that's the way we live, and that's the the practice of this community that seeks to be as faithful as we possibly can to 2 Corinthians 5.18, I don't know what we're going to be led to do. All I know is that we're in for a future together that's as bright as the promises of God 
because the grace of God at the cross of Jesus, it changes everything for the glory of God, for the joy of this world, and for the great hope of your life. God bless you and give you a great week in the Lord and a happy Labor Day. In the name of the Father and of the Son 